Greetings, my friends. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And remember, my friends, future events such as these will affect you in the future. Hello, this is Chaos Radio, this sixth international edition. We are about to talk about big games and we are going to talk with Kevin Slaven, who is with us today. Your host, as usual, is Tim Pritlove. Say hello to Kevin. Hello, Kevin. And I say hi in return, Tim. Yes, fine that you're here and that we finally have the opportunity to talk because yeah. um, you are busy in, in uh, interesting things that I think are really interesting to look at. Um, well, your life seems to be a life of games somehow. Is that true? How did you... Uh, what's your way of it is, uh, having it is games in your life? Yeah, it is now, uh, it is now a life of games. Um, uh there were uh there were a bunch of years leading up to this one that were spent uh that were spent in advertising which um led to uh certain kinds of interests that we're still pursuing but but in a way I, as we're as we're moving forward with the way these games work I, um i've come to realize that uh really the the this is a direct continuation of work that i was doing as an artist uh many years ago um and that uh, even as a, an art student, my, uh, my, my sort of um, training, as it, as it were, was with, um, was with Hans Hacke, who's a German artist who lives in New York. Um, and uh, as, a, as a sculptor, what we were uh, learning about was the idea of systems themselves as the subject of work, um, the idea of um, building uh, uh, situations and systems rather than objects um, that uh, that the that that these sort of that the that the dynamics of the world were more interesting than the things necessarily that those dynamics produced. Um, and uh, what 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 was yeah. your first computer? My first computer. Yeah. My first computer was a VIC twenty. Okay. Three thousand. Did you play much on it? Sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah. What's your favorite game? On the VIC twenty. Uh, I think uh, the most notable game I remember is uh, the the one I remember most clearly is uh, Blue Meanies from Outer Space, and I remember <laughs> really clearly because it was the first time I could start to understand the the code that it was written in. Okay. Uh, uh, 
And and also what I remember quite fondly with the games on the VIC-20 was that uh, most of them came from typing them in by hand out of these computer magazines. And that that was just the most amazing way to learn how things worked, you know, was that you actually had to knit this thing together. And then you saw this thing that you had produced, but actually somebody else had dreamed it up, right? And there was this very weird, and you also you would have to debug the whole thing, right? Because you were always typing something in incorrectly. Uh, and uh, and and I don't I I can't remember the names of any of those games, but that's where I spent all my time because it was from that from that moment on, it was once you typed in the game and once you were playing it, it was like okay, what could I do with this? You know, like 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 how can I tweak it? You know, like what can I what can I do with this game to make it a little bit more this or a little bit more that? And that was that was great, you know. Yeah, I remember those times where yeah. you constantly, and then you were also enhancing the game because you so you were really learning that whole software development process of taking something that's already there, enhancing it, yeah. and, and, and probably even find bugs that are in there. Totally, yeah. The yeah. was yeah. free of bugs. Yeah. yeah, it was always amazing to me that they couldn't find a system to generate the, the final finished debugged code and publish that. Like, I, like yeah, it was... But somehow, but but in a way, that was that was great training. I mean, you know. Right. So, <coughs> right now you are, well, you you've making you made games. Your your well, your business, your living. I don't know how how well it works, but can you shortly describe what what, what you're doing? Now? Yeah. Uh, so um, I I have a company called Area Code, which uh, my partner in that is uh, is my favorite game designer, uh, and that's Frank Lance. Um, and Frank. Uh, among other things used to be the director of game design at game lab and while he was there and and uh even before that he had done some of my some of my favorite games that were out there and really really innovative you know and and not uh you know not like you know more levels for splinter cell and not like you know the sequel to you know road rash five or whatever but actually like you know real games that had ideas in them in terms of how they play um And uh, uh, I had been looking at some of the work that he'd been doing um, originally with um, Jan Abrams at the University of Minnesota. He did a game uh, called The Big Urban Game, which involved uh, transforming the city of Minneapolis into this enormous game environment, right? And they had these huge, you know, 30-foot-high inflatable playing pieces that people were hauling around Minneapolis over several days in response to uh, stimulus from the internet, basically every, like sort of everybody was playing, right? And then that would create the moves for the players who were moving these things around. Um, and that I had, had seen that and uh, had really kind of tagged it as this is, I don't, I don't know if this is what the future of the medium looks like, but this is clearly a, a totally different idea about what games can do which is to actually transform the urban experience um, and uh, through a very weird set of circumstances uh, Frank that had partly to do with me long before Frank and I even met each other uh, Frank ended up uh, starting a class at NYU where he teaches in big games um, uh, he's so, and so some interesting projects came out of that Pac Manhattan is the most famous one um, And I was working at an ad agency and uh, was dying to sort of see if we could pull something off, you know, for one of our clients that really, you know, use this because basically, you know, the, the funding model for this is unclear, right? You know, it's, it's, and we're, you know, we're sort of building 
the business and we're trying to figure out what that that business is um but the the most obvious one and and the the, the certainly the short-term one is basically sponsorship in a sense right and and you know companies that sponsor them and then these games that really work to do good things for their brands um so, yeah. so you already mentioned this this pack manhattan game mm -hmm. which yeah. sort of was like the most uh, i don't know mostly reflected on what kind would you can you describe what you did and and why you think it was the most successful one for you yeah um i, I mean i should start by saying that my personal involvement with that was uh, i didn't have any personal involvement with it but it was uh frank's uh class which in, uh, included Uh, some some people who really went on to do some really interesting things, even way outside of that. Um, it was actually the first time that uh, big games had ever been taught as a subject, um, and uh, his students had come up with the uh, you know sort of based on what he was bringing to them about work that he'd done thus far. They came up with the idea of using Lower Manhattan um, and its grid structure to uh, actually play out the the game of pac-man uh in you know physical three-dimensional real you know street life manhattan um one of the things that uh that that happened with it is, is that they they had been planning to um uh to really use the most complex set of uh technologies possible to track the location of the human pac-man and the four human ghosts running around the city so Yeah. So to describe it probably a bit more uh, practically, so people yeah. were actually moving in the streets. Right, there were five, were, yeah. Uh, so everybody was a Pac-Man? There were, 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 were five players, four of which play the ghosts, you know, Blinky, Pinky, Inky, and Oh, they Fly. got names? I yeah, they've know. always had names. Oh, yeah, I they've always. That. Yeah, I, maybe they were just in the States. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, they were never really addressed by name, but okay, anyway, they, they had names. names. Uh, so four players are the ghosts, uh, and one player uh, plays Pac-Man. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, Pac-Man is uh, is running through the grid, uh, which is more or less modeled after the the grid from Pac-Man. And uh, if there is a dot, if a, if if one of the dots is still determined to be at his location, then he eats that dot. And if there's not, then so he just keeps who going. So who played the dots? Uh, nobody plays the dots. Data plays the dots. Like why, why is nobody playing the dots? I mean, that's that uh, that's a good well. question. You have to get very small people, I suppose. Beautiful people, beautiful girls. Beautiful right? Yeah, boys. it could be. It could be. Uh, maybe the next iteration is just people playing the dots, and you have to knock them down. Or, I, but then who would play the power pill? Really, that's a, that would be <laughs> Wait, that would be the you really. You can hand, hand out melons, for instance. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, a totally untapped concept. Like yeah. you, that, Pac-Man has actually to eat these. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, that's actually the next step. Um, well, so uh, the 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 idea of it was that you know Pac-Man would be running through, eating the dots, you know that that are determined to exist on this grid. Um, and if he ate one of the power pills, then the ghosts would uh, turn their the clothes the the ghost clothing inside out so that they were blue. But how right? did they know? I mean, how does this this right? And that's happen? and that's what's interesting. So so uh, when the students first thought about this, uh, they had thought about it using GPS and all these you know very you know like we we'll, you know we'll use SMS out to let the ghosts you know uh, all kinds of stuff right. And and it had I think at one point you know like five or six possible points of failure you know it's like like five or six systems built on top of each other and then anyway you know GPS in in any city but in particular Manhattan because of the height of the buildings is just a it's a losing proposition you know there's just you're always going to have these urban canyons where 
you know the satellite signals are bouncing off and etc so one of the things that really came you know most directly uh from from frank was to really say like look this is not about the technology right this is really about you know the, the possibility of making this happen that the that there's a fundamental layer to this which is that we can communicate with people that we can't see right and that and that we can both be in motion when that happens right and that i mean it really it's not more complicated than that for pacman hat so really all it was was uh four or five people in a in a control room right each one of whom was assigned to one of the players right so there were there was each ghost and each and pacman himself had like an operator right who okay. they were constantly in touch with and so really the game was sort of playing out in the control room you know with people's kind of in a way moving around representations of them and then letting the ghosts know okay you know you're blue now right okay but but how did they communicate with it cell phones you're just cell phones okay just yeah. cell phones yeah. yeah okay and that worked out i mean was yeah it worked out great yeah okay. yeah and it was really it was amazing to watch and and uh, who won Uh, Pac-Man, as far as I know, uh, up until this point, because it's been repeated many times now, as far as I know, nobody has ever completed th the first board. Oh. Um, which is, you know, sort of funny and interesting on its own. You know, okay. That, that uh, Pac-Man had is much more difficult than Pac-Man. It was I mean, difficult to find players. No, it's easy to find players. Yeah, it's difficult to find time, you know, and it's difficult to find, uh, you know the resources in a way to you know get another five people to s do the control room etc. Uh, who did well when I'm I'm Pac-Man I wonder how do I make my decision where to go to I mean am I sort of somebody's telling me where to run No you're you're deciding where to run um, and so you But how do I remember where the dots are Yeah that's up to you Okay so I have yeah. to have the, the map in my mind so Correct yeah Okay So the funny part is that you're actually putting the game into the city and you're sort of mm -hmm. integrating the city uh, itself. Are there any other examples that uh, are worth mentioning in that context what you've done with Area Code? Yeah, um, so uh, the, the biggest project we've done uh, is one called Conquest, uh, which was for um, a phone company out west called Quest. Uh, and that was really the first game to really um, be done expressly for commercial purposes, essentially. Um, And this was a game that took place in uh, in 10 different cities. Um, so Portland, Minneapolis, Salt Lake City, uh, Seattle, um, mostly cities in the West, Boise, Idaho, some really small cities in a way. Um, and this was uh, similar types of dynamics, but really its own ideas within that. Um, one thing to that's sort of most notable about Conquest was that we used a uh, technology called Semicode uh, in that. And Semicode, at that time, and I guess this is 2000... We're talking about the 2D barcodes here? About, yeah. The basically pitch for use with Wikipedia and so on? Do you uh, know about se the Semapedia project, Sem for instance? Semapedia was done by Alexis Rondeau, who's my former intern. Uh, okay. So that's the very direct link. Okay. Uh, uh, it, it came in part from his looking at Conquest. So the game was first? The game was very <laughs> was first. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and in fact, uh, uh, of note is that uh, the game was the first uh, licensed use of Semicode ever. Okay. Um, so, and at the time uh, when I had I had seen it, I think on Simon's blog, the guy who the guy who invented it, you know, like I somehow I had stumbled across it, and it was not long after he had done version, you know, 1.0 um, and just thought, you know, that the the power of 
a two-dimensional code, you know, this thing that looks like an unfinished crossword puzzle, you know, that the idea of that, uh, you know, within an urban landscape, something like there, it had a power because you look at these things and you could stare at them for five minutes, you could stare at them for five hours and they, they yield nothing. You know, it's like, it's like they, they, they will not give up their secrets to humans, right? But then there's a thing in your pocket that can read it, right? And just that essential idea was already very interesting to me in terms of its use for play. So can you explain the rules a bit more? So yeah. so, so what, is, what? how many people are playing it and was, what yeah. is the setup? So, so what do I experience when I am the player, right. for instance? So, the, uh, so this game was designed for... Um, to use, uh, uh, it was it was to be played by high school students, um, and so we had a promotions company that basically went to the high schools in each of these towns uh, and recruited twenty uh, five kids from each of these five competing high schools, um, and they uh, the the kids we armed them basically with phones that were. Uh, not optimized to read the code, but were you know they were, they were there, yeah, they, and so that everybody was on one platform basically, mm -hmm. um, and the 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 base mechanic of it in a way is treasure hunt dynamics, right? These codes were integrated into the cities, but when I say that they were integrated, I mean like they were really. Um, uh, it wasn't just like uh, okay, we'll just slap them up somewhere. I mean, I I did the most insane media buy in the history of media buys you know it was like i want uh, i want this billboard on 19th street in maine you know i want the top of this taxi you know that's going to drive around here i want to be in the window of this art gallery that's over here and basically it was like flying out to the cities and finding where would you put a couple hundred of these codes so that they felt like you know, some strange virus had arrived within the city. That it wasn't. It wasn't just. Uh, it wasn't just. It wasn't. It. It didn't feel like street art. You know, it felt like something had kind of woven its way into the code of the city, and that the thing that had woven its way into the code was really uh, some weird kind of secret. Um, I had been. I'd been really directly inspired by uh, by this movie from the early '80s. A really crappy science fiction movie by John Carpenter called They Live and it was a really bad movie but it was a really brilliant idea uh, and They Live um, was uh, it was about a, a guy in LA who is uh, he's quasi homeless he's having a really bad day and he comes across on the street a pair of sunglasses um, and he puts them on and he looks up and you know and all of the ads that he sees all the billboards instead of ha you know being for like Calvin Klein underwear or whatever crap uh, they say things like obey or stay asleep etc and then he takes the sunglasses off and it, it's you see it, it's for underwear again he puts them back on and and it turns out that uh, all of the advertising of the world is actually sort of uh, jamming the the. It's it's sort of like a, a, a false signal on top of the real signal, uh, and then the he yeah, yeah you know and then and then it, and then it kind of spins out of control because it turns out uh, he, one of the one of the businessmen walking by has a giant flaming robot head if you have the glasses on because. The Earth has been controlled by aliens for. Da -da -da, so right. I didn't know it, that movie. It it, uh, it spirals wow. uh, out of <laughs> out of any control. But okay. it was such a beautiful idea, right? Yes. That like that that there would be this like 
Yeah, augmented, augmented reality yes, idea. Yes, it was. And I mean, this is like 1983 or so, right? It was, the, it was before we really had the language to even describe this kind of thing. Um, but what was what I loved was this idea of uh, of the public secret, right? That there was that there was the stuff that was out there that everybody could see, right? And it was like it was it was visible to everybody, but only legible to some. You know, like everybody could see it, but not everybody could read it. And to build a game around this dynamic, um, and to and to enter into American cities and create this situation where people are just walking around and there's just this this crazy code and then and then there's this moment when the game starts when these kids who are playing are unleashed on that and uh and and suddenly you realize that this is all part of the system you know that's that that has now been activated right mm -hmm. how many uh, people are playing at the same so time? a total of 125 kids at once at the same time at the same time in many cities uh, uh sequentially it would go from one city to another like a like a rock tour without any sex or drugs or rock okay right. so in yeah. every city yeah. it's like w every over 100 people yeah. so they're all going out to hunt the treasure exactly of. right and how do they find these simmer codes I mean, uh, they're they're just out there they're you know it's uh, the same in a, in a way uh I mean, is it just small stickers somewhere, or some, is it like some of them are small stickers? Some of them, uh, you know, we did one. We did we did quite a few that were probably about um, the codes themselves were probably about 10 meters high. You know, like really, really big. Okay. You know, like you know, like, like billboards, huh? Like billboards. They were billboards, then. right? Okay, I mean, it's like billboards. you know, it's like that was the ad, okay. right? The ad was just this raw code. Okay. Uh, uh, there were there were. Um, on the top of taxis that would normally be advertising cigarettes or whatever it is, there would just be this code. Uh, but it was, I, uh, but uh, yeah. it must be some kind of restricted to a certain region, right? Correct. Um, How and big? And so, and and so, and actually, that that's the that's the uh, that's the second point about it is, is that the if all it was was just a scavenger hunt or treasure hunt dynamic. Um, that's okay, but the that's not really an interesting game. It might be kind of fun. Um, but it's not really that interesting, and um, and that's why Frank came up with a really kind of brilliant dynamic that was that made it not about a treasure hunt, and what it was really about was territory, um, and this is where things got really interesting. So the kids who were playing were given maps of the city that we had basically carved up the city into eight zones. So let's say it was happening in Seattle. We had carved up Seattle into eight zones. They had a map of that and they could see which zone belonged to, to which streets. Uh, in order for them to shoot the treasure that was in, let's say, uh, you know, that the, the team from, you know, Main Street High School wanted to shoot the, the codes in zone eight, they would have to Uh, own zone eight. They would have to occupy it, right? And so then there's a system of how you occupy that zone, and then there's a whole series of strategic decisions, right? It's essentially game board, right? You know, and whether you move north, south, east, or west is going to depend on what your opponents have done, right? Um, so if I'm in zone eight and I want to move into zone one, what if my opponent is there? Right, you know, then we're going to have to challenge each other, and there was a dynamic for that. So finding is yeah. so when I find a semi code, what do I do? I I take I my mobile phone and scan it, and, yep, and what's the information that's behind? So uh, so I I come across a semi code and I uh, I shoot it with my phone cam. At that time, uh, the 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 semi code client was only written in si for Symbian phones, which. 
the phone company that we were doing it for didn't even have any Symbian phones. So we had to we had to rewrite everything basically together with the guy who had invented some code. Dennis Crowley did a lot of the coding, which is the or actually he did all of the backend technology. Uh, he, uh, he Dennis is also the guy behind Dodgeball, um, which is a, a mobile social networking social software. Um, which is quite relevant to everything that we're doing, and uh, I think you know these the dodgeball and what we were doing with the game kind of helped inform each other in really positive ways. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, so it was written such that if we couldn't put a client on the phone to read the codes, what we would do is we would have the kids shoot the code, send it to our server as an MMS, do the decode on the server side, and that would uh, the, so the really send an SMS back. It would send an SMS back that said, okay. Okay, you got that one. That one's worth 150 points, et cetera, et cetera. But the other thing that it was doing is, is that because we had placed all those semicodes everywhere, we now knew where they were, right? So if we got code number 903, okay, we know, because we have, we have our map, uh, we know that, that that code means that you're in zone 9, right? Or, you know, zone 3 or what have you, right? Um, so if they weren't in the zone that they occupy, Right, then that code isn't going to give them any points. Right, so a lot of the strategy of the game was figuring out as a team, as 25 people who can't see each other anymore. Right, and and okay, you can communicate with any of them, but you can't communicate with all of them. Right, right, and so then then it's like then we're getting into kinds of games that we've never really been able to have before, where it's really you know it's kind of you know where emergent behavior starts to happen and where the kinds of where the the kinds of strategies that you're going to have to play that kind of game are not uh, hierarchical in the you know in the normal sense. You, you might have a captain who who decides this is going to be the strategy we're going to use, but there's no you know running around telling each of the 25 people what they have to do. You know, really, it's about figuring out how do we ourselves figure out what to do and some of the smartest players some of the i mean it's you know if you give high school kids a chance to be really smart they're really smart you know and they um they came up with like really we they would they would show up at the games with these really beautiful like organizational charts that would show who is responsible for knowing what and disseminating that information to whom right and when we started to see that kind of things showing up at the game we were like okay we've made a great game You know? So they were really taking up on the idea and improving it even yeah, further. You know, and and uh, you know, and they started playing in ways that, of course, we hadn't even thought of, even though we play tested it. Um, and that's another good sign that you've done something right. You know, that people have figured out what to do with your work that you never intended or imagined. Um, they figured out how to cheat, and we had to figure out how to stop that. But that, you know, that's part of the the nature of it. Okay, uh, the one piece is still missing for me when I. Um, when I find the semicode code and I send the, the make photo of it, send the M MMS, what kind of information do I actually get back? What's what's inside I, this? I would get an SMS back that says, uh, uh, "Okay, player, you know, three on Team Mountain Lion, you've just captured another code. Uh, that's another 150 points for your team, bringing you to a total of." 1,200. Uh, okay, so it's just basically the high score, uh, the uh, score. Whoever reaches 5,000 first. <coughs> uh, okay, but then I own that part. Ah, uh, oh, I hate that. Sorry, I have to okay, yeah, make a short break here. Okay. okay, let me ask the following question. <coughs> so, uh, it's sort of like taking a computer game into the city. Mm -hmm. 
thereby losing completely the original notion of a computer game, which basically means you are sitting in front of your computer and right. you're diving in some kind of world. N now the computer is coming into your world, so it's like augmented gaming in a way. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there's a certain quality. I mean, Chaos Computer Club has also done uh, this, this uh, Blinken Lights installation, yeah. which sort of also integrated the city into... It was yeah. Well, they, uh, it allowed gaming in a way, yeah. but it was much more about being integrated into the city. Right. Yeah. We had a big crush on that project. You had. Yeah. <laughs> How yeah. did you know of it? Oh, because that's it's our job to know about things like that. Okay. Yeah. So the internet just like told you that's yeah. existing. Yeah. I also know Berlin. So okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So what's your take on this? Uh, on uh, 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 well, I mean, as a as a as a general idea, um, I mean, I think one of the things that uh, that that um, has happened to games is the same thing that's happened to computers, which is that the the it, it turns out that that the the real power of computers is not necessarily to compute per se, but really to communicate. It's really that it turns out that what's great about computer games now, like right now, is the fact that we can play them with millions of people. You know, like like what makes World of Warcraft great is, you know, a couple things. One of them is, is that the world is so beautifully rendered and that we can create 3D images that do this, you know, that have this kind of power. That's great. But, you know, it, that wouldn't be much fun. It, or it, wouldn't, it would not have the same kind of power if you weren't playing it with, you know, four and a half million people, right? And that, that, um, if you you know if you look at like the grand history of games like never mind computer games but just games you know there will be in the you know writing this from the future there will be this like weird footnote this weird historical moment that starts in like i don't know 1980 or so or maybe you know actually earlier but you know maybe about 1980 to about you know 2000 or so where people played games alone Right. I mean, you know, it's like it's like people would be like, yeah, that's really weird. Like like they used a computer as the opponent. Right. Rather than the thing that puts me, you know, in touch with the opponent rather than the thing that mediates all the exchanges that I have with the full sophisticated complexity of people. You know, like the computer was like trying to outsmart me and I'm trying to outsmart the computer. Right. But actually, wasn't the first Pong already to play a game? Uh, that's true. Actually, that's a, that's an excellent point, right? And Space War, right? Space War and Pong were two-player games, right? And I guess I, if I think about it now, uh, it's partly because the computer wasn't really powerful enough to be a worthwhile opponent yet. But then it was. And then it was. Until right? it was too, well, too too complicated, uh, uh, impossible to beat. <laughs> right. And I mean, and I mean that's, that's where the, the thing is kicking like, in again. You know, it's like it's like I like to play chess, right? But uh, and I play chess online sometimes against other people who I have no idea who they are. That's always going to be more interesting to me than playing chess against a computer, even one that's matched to my level, because a computer is going to play chess like a computer. And, you know, if it's going to play at my crappy level, it just means that it's handicapping its math, you know? Yeah, and, that's and it's no point in, in comparing brain cells to Yeah, you know, to and, and, and what's interesting is how humans interact with humans, you know? And what's great is, is that computers are making this possible possible in ways that was never that was never possible before and really you know part of what we're taking from the video game world is just the capacity to play with all these people who I can't see but I have a very meaningful relationship with for this hour that we are together in this space you know it's it's taking the kind of idea of cyberspace and pulling it back into the real world and saying like like look 
you, you know, like we we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna have this you know shared hallucination of the of the space right in front of us, you mm -hmm. know, rather than uh, you know some dream of whatever whatever. Um, and a lot of times we talk about it is, is that you know these are games that have computers in them rather than the other way around, right? That if that if computer games have been thought of as trying to take you further and further into some like vanishing point on the screen, you know, like if you think about a first-person shooter, like uh, you know going deeper and deeper and deeper into you know this this moment, and you know uh, of sort of like trying to simulate this world, you know, on the on a two-dimensional screen, and there's all kinds of tricks to deal with that. Um, that if that's what computer games have been have come to mean, you know, it's like, well, well, what if a computer game is really just about, uh, you know, allowing us to compute the real world in ways that we've never been able to compute it before, you know? So uh, have you been playing World of Warcraft? Yeah, I play World of Warcraft. Yeah, not lately, it's just, but yeah. Uh, but but if you played it, you have been stuck for a while, I guess. Because uh, most of the people I know are sort of gone for a week and you know, a yeah. month. Or yeah, I was longer. gone for about a month. I would say. <coughs> yeah, I had a little vacation. So how was it? <laughs> uh, it's. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, and 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 truly, like the only reason I don't keep playing is because I just don't have the time. Um, but, uh, but you know, it's like there's all. Uh, it, it's, it's a it's a good. Th there's a couple of like concrete things to take from it. Uh, you know, one of the things that we we look at is that like. Okay, there's a couple. I, I don't know if you play at all uh, World of Warcraft, but no, I I, I never found the time. I was okay. sort of scared of uh, these uh, online role-playing games. Although I did play role games mm -hmm. uh, before without a computer, right. so I I have some right. kind of attachment to it. Right. Um, well, one of the things that's interesting, if you if you sort of stop and think about it, is is that um, just the way people communicate within World of Warcraft, right? There's a couple different modes of communication, right? So. Um, if I if I do a say command basically, uh, then what I what I type is going to be visible to everybody within my immediate surroundings. Everybody who can see me on screen, which is you know has like you know conventional ideas of visibility. Anybody who can see me on screen uh, can see what I'm saying, can hear me, as it were. Right? Uh, that's one way of communicating. I can also talk directly to anybody who. Uh, we've agreed that we're in the, you know, that we know each other and we're friends and whatever. I can talk to them directly no matter where they are. Okay, right? so you, you've got the telephone number. Which is, of. yeah, which is sort of like, you know, cell to cell communication. And then I can also, uh, I, can, I can yell and broadcast out over the entire, let's say, nation scale of things. Um, but also, uh, I have guild communications, right? And guild is like, you know, I'm in a guild and that means that there are maybe, um, you know, 40 of us who are committed to helping each other get through the game. And one of the things that's really such genius about the game is, is that it doesn't tell you you must join a guild in order to play the game or to win or what have you, but it, it produces situations where you, it's beneficial to do that and where it's fun and it's and it feels very very natural that at a certain point somebody extends a hand and says come on into our group you know and we'll help you and you'll help us etc et and so once you're in a guild you can also talk to the guild as you're running through World of Warcraft right and they may be online they may not be on there may be only five of them online they may all be right in front of you right and the thing that's really interesting about that kind of communication is that there's no analog to that in the real world right I mean like like there's no way for me to just say uh, for example we're here at this conference there's no way for me to just talk to everybody at the conference right now right that would be a guild communication right you know it's like we are all in this group together 
you know, and we're all in the same vicinity, right? But if I wanted to talk to everybody at the conference, I'd have to call each person at the conference, right? But so if you look at World of Warcraft, you can see like there's there's different types of communications possible. And what we're interested in is, is like, okay, how do we take some of the dynamics that video games have in a way invented, right? And start to pull those out into the real world. Can we produce infrastructure that allows us to have guild-like communications, for example? You know, can we create an infrastructure that would allow uh, me to have uh, to talk to everybody at the conference to 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 take some action together, you know, to act in some common interest, right? And um, and that's a very specific example, but uh, it's it's to say that there are that there are types of social dynamics that are possible in video games that we're interested in what happens when you take those out into the real world, and that that's really possible now, you know, uh, and and that you know we're we're trying to invent them for play. But they don't just have utility as play; they have utility as as every other type of communication has utility. Um, uh, but so that's uh, there. There's that. That's part of. That's one of the lessons from World of Warcraft. I can, I can only hope this is going to be really successful because I'm sort of scared that all the shooting, uh, capturing, destroying games are sort of making it on the streets as well. Yeah. <laughs> If I just yeah. imagine all this military. Stuff that's out there, people starting virtually right. shooting, or I don't know what they're going to do. Well, I mean, uh, you know, it's interesting to note that uh, there's a game called Street Wars, which is done uh, by a friend of ours named Franz, um, which uh, it's basically a variation on Assassin, which we played in the 80s in high school and so on. It, it's uh, it's killer. You have a you have a target, and somebody's targeting you, and you shoot them with a water gun, which sounds really dumb but it's super fun and that has been revived now you know and it's really interesting that it went to sleep for many years and it's really really interesting that it's woken up and i played it in new york uh and it was amazing who else was playing you know and i you know recently uh i had i had breakfast with you know a really kind of important venture capitalist from San Francisco and we were talking about whatever and he said he said yeah I played Street Wars I got killed in the second week and it was like it was like <laughs> yeah you know it's like this is it, it's um, it, it's somehow it's in the air um, uh, that the that the kinds of things that we're doing online even the first person shooter type stuff that you, you can start to pull that in to into your real life and Uh, it, you don't have to run around with a weapon and think about killing all the time, but it, it, it transforms your consciousness if on the way to work you're like, I really hope I don't get shot, <laughs> right? I mean, like, the, and, and, and it's, so, it's so simple, you know? It's so yeah. simple and it's so powerful how that affects your day, you know, right? Like, you know, it was like that thing of, uh, of you, you know, sort of like looking, you know, looking out the window before I leave the house, You know, and that a game, which is really nothing more than a, a bunch of rules and some water guns, could actually transform th your everyday life like that. That's powerful shit, you know. And, Absolutely. You know, and so and so and that's like a very that's uh, it, it's it's not to put it down in any way because it's it's a really amazing one. But that's like a very simple interaction. You mm -hmm. know, that's like I'm trying to kill somebody. Somebody's trying to kill me. But <coughs> yeah, yeah, and it's also usually uh, creating a new community. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's a social network in itself, but it's also usually that people are really starting to communicate about the game itself. Um, I was once in involved in creating uh, well a multi-user game 
that you could play via the telephone, which wasn't <laughs> re- no, it wasn't really a game. It was more like an, an environment, mm-hmm. a virtual villa where you could just enter, and uh, all the movements were controlled by the keypad of your telephone. But immediately when the people gathered, they started with playing their own games within the system, just right. using the infrastructure, talking to each other, leaving messages, and communicating in a way. And there were right. some uh, forms of communication. Uh, like that, w- what you described, the mm-hmm. communication world of Warcraft, so mm-hmm. like talking to friends and so on. Yeah. No guilds, uh, actually. <laughs> but it was funny to see how they're really taking up on it and, and, and building their own community. And in the end, they were even marrying. Wow. <laughs> 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 Themselves didn't hold la- that long, but it happened. <laughs> but yeah, games are strong. That's that's the, yeah. the basic punchline. Yeah, games, games are strong. And also... Um, I mean, this is the this is sort of the continuity between your Blinking Lights project and the kinds of things that we're that we're doing. This is that we talk about, you know, the the dawn of the kind of read write city. You know, that like that that cities for many 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 years, as long as there have been cities, are basically read only. You know, it's like it's like you know who builds the city. You know, architects, developers, urban planners, et cetera, et cetera. And then we live in it. You know, and really. What, what was the platform to write back to it? There's not much. I mean, you know, okay, there's graffiti, you know, um, but there's there's not many other ways to feel like I'm using the city, right? And yeah. and and that is also that's the other powerful part of it. Part of it is the play element and the and the games and the community, but the other part is the idea of a city that you can use. You know, the idea it's like where you start to think about all the, you know, all the all the all the buildings around you as the hardware. And you know I'm going to use it in the following ways, and 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 that I think again it's like that we're not inventing that. I think that's partly something that we've learned, we've acquired a taste for that from video games, right? Because it's like when you're playing Grand Theft Auto, right? That you you are affecting your environment. You are you are you're interacting with your environment in ways that you could never do in real life, and that's that's part of what makes it really fun. Right, and so the question is, is like, what can we use all these new technologies to do so that you can affect your environment without actually altering it physically, right? That that because there are ways to alter it, you know, they just don't have to to involve you know leaving marks, right? Right. Um, and uh, you know, because I, I think that's you know, it's 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 part of what the essential uh, um, uh, impetus behind you know street art and graffiti and cetera is is just the idea of of uh, you know that that the city is is just a little bit mine right yeah um and and that there are ways to to do that where that can f- you can feel that way all the time yeah and you can yeah. fill it with content that's actually only existing in on the internet but you are attaching the meaning to it and that makes it uh, sort of playful i mean yeah. just leave think about leaving uh the semicode stickers mm-hmm. yourself right by like dropping new information and, right. and, and making your environment a new adventure game in right. itself. You know, and maybe it doesn't even have to involve leaving semicode. Maybe it's just marking a location for somebody else who may find that location, right? Because that's yeah. I know. mean, the, the the geocaching community is sort of doing this already. I mean, Absolutely. They're they're leaving the treasure in this time it's it's real treasures and yep. finding it yep. it's sort of still very simple but t- people seem really to be very attached to it also it's uh, geocaching is really is really beautiful I, I, you know in part um, the 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 if the if the if the alibi of geocaching is that i'm going to this location to get some treasure or whatever that's not i i mean i've done it it's it's not what it's really about it's really about somebody thinks that that's a special place 
You know, it's like basically, it's not that people are hiding treasures, they're curating space, you know, and they're saying like, you know, here's the really amazing tip of City Island, you know, off, off the Bronx, you know, here's, uh, here's, there's one where uh, one of the 9-11 flights went down, you know, there's a geocache there, you know, well, okay, that's not about getting the contents of the Tupperware container, right? That's about going to that place, you know, and, uh, and, and this idea of like, okay, we are able to curate the real world for each other, you know, that's amazing. That's never really been possible before. I mean, that came from like guidebooks, maybe, you know, it's like, you know, like from Michelin, you know, Michelin curated space for us. And now we can do that for ourselves. And that's, that's amazing. Okay, I think that basically sums it up what we have to say, uh, although this topic is endless, as I feel. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I'd like to make a, um, a stop here. Um, thank you very much. Thanks to you, Tim. Kevin, for yeah. joining here. Yeah. And uh, I hope we can continue this discussion uh, at any time. I have a feeling we will. Okay, yeah. thank you very much. Thanks Bye. to you, Tim. Bye.